Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. In this episode, I'm talking with Kelly about commissioning. Kelly Westby heads up our commissioning group here at Stephen Winter Associates. And I've wanted to talk about commissioning for a while on the podcast, but it's taken us a while to get to it. Uh, Kelly and I talked for quite a long time, which should surprise nobody who knows us, but we condensed things a bit, so it's a more concise discussion where we hopefully hit the high points. Kelly wanted to start with a good definition of commissioning. So, the yeah, ASHRAE Guideline Zero, the good old backbone of commissioning, <laughs> um, talks about commissioning as a process of ensuring that the building is designed, constructed, operated, and maintained in accordance with the design intent. And I like the definition, even though it's a little bit wordy and a mouthful, and I can never remember the exact words, um, because it gets at a couple of different things that I think uh, people miss when they're thinking about commissioning. So the first thing is, a process. So I think a lot of people think about maybe manufacture a startup as commissioning or, uh, you know, just an, a uh, static or kind of an one point in time test of a system as commissioning. But commissioning is really a process that's applied to um, making sure that, that buildings are, are working properly. And uh, that process, the timeline, is is part of that definition, too. It's from early kind of schematic design, pre-design, through turnover, through into operation, and can kind of move into continuous commissioning, which we can talk a little bit about. And uh, and, and then I like the, the insurance, uh, uh, <laughs> not insurance with an I, but insurance with an E, uh, okay. part of that, which is, you know, it's a quality, a quality assurance process, I say, um, and it doesn't replace the quality control process that the general contractors need to be implementing um, throughout the project to make sure that that things are being installed properly. It doesn't replace that. It it adds a layer of third party review, kind of on top of that, to make sure, um, you know, to, on on oftentimes a sampling basis to make sure that systems are, uh, the, the right quality control processes from the general contractor are, are kind of set up and being implemented properly. But we, we can offer a perspective of uh, making sure that building systems holistically are operating properly. Um, and, and I would say from an efficiency perspective, for sure. Um, but we've gotten... A little bit in the industry, I think commissioning has gotten pigeonholed into the uh, efficiency world alone because it falls in the efficiency category, the energy efficiency category and lead, and because it's required by energy code. Um, but I think commissioning is so much more than that, that it really uh, has to do, like, like I kind of mentioned, like the guest experience, like thermal comfort, yeah. uh, acoustical performance. How can we, you know, if equipment isn't installed properly, it's going to be very noisy. 
and that's going to impact the health and well-being of the people in the space. I would have said I probably would have said comfort and reliability. If if you're you know if what, I asked what are the, you. yeah what are the biggest you know what are the biggest advantages I guess to an owner yeah uh, for for and and energy efficiency certainly but you know I think a lot of our clients that is secondary you know it has to be comfortable it has to work it has to be reliable and then we don't want to you know use tons of energy to make it <laughs> right that would be nice. Would it make sense to talk about a, uh, a somewhat specific example, like sure. in, an outline, like say uh, an outdoor air system for common spaces and a multifamily building? Is that can you kind of give us a brief outline of what's involved in commissioning something like that, or a different piece of equipment? What what or a different system? I guess. <laughs> Um, yeah, I haven't. I hadn't thought about it that way. That's a good. I like that uh, being on this side of the microphone because um, I can just ramble and you have to make sure that I stay on track. So this is fun. <laughs> um, so if we get brought in in the beginning, the question is, what's the intent of the of the space? What requirements do we need to pay attention to for outdoor air? Are you going for lead? Are you going for passive house? Uh, what does the system need to be providing? So we need to set the, the guidelines for, for what we need from that system, including reliability, like you said, comfort. Is humidity okay in the space? Can it go as high as 85% or uh, as low as 10%? Or do we need to keep the humidity in uh, a certain range for, for comfort? Do we want the temperature to be in a certain range for comfort? Are, you know, are we a typical New York building where we're not going to supply cooling to the corridors uh, in, you know, maybe a smaller multifamily project? Or is it a luxury condominium, condominium and uh, we absolutely are going to provide cooling to the corridors? And um, so we have to have those discussions up front of what's most important to the owner, and so that's what we call the owner's project requirements. Okay. So that's that's kind of step one. And then we look at the design and make sure that all the things that we outlined, whether it's, you know, uh, passive house and, and uh, you know, you need to have energy recovery, make, making sure that that energy recovery system is shown there on the drawings and um, is set up in a way that it can work properly that the equipment is located in a way that one day the maintenance staff can actually access the filters and right. change belts and uh, be able to maintain the equipment. And that, and to also make recommendations about, is there a more efficient way to do this? Is there a better way to lay out the ductwork so that you can reduce noise or you can uh, increase efficiency of the equipment? And then moving on into submittals, making sure that the, the submittals are appropriate and match what the, the design intent and the owner's project requirements are. And watching through construction to make sure that during the course of construction, the system, the entire system, so the ductwork and the components are being installed properly, that the outdoor air unit on the roof is being mounted properly, that the clearance is actually provided there in the field, that things have been coordinated so you don't have 
for example, a pipe hanger running through your ductwork. Not that I've seen yeah. that specifically or anything. And then we we look at uh, trying to set guidelines for how that equipment then gets started up. And we'll review kind of the startup reports from from the uh, manufacturer's representatives. And that some people call commissioning. And so that can be a little bit confusing. So the, the manufacturer will come up, come out to the site and, and start up the equipment, which basically means kind of turning it on and checking some of the boxes. And they might go through a pretty thorough and rigorous review of what's going on or a pretty simple review. Then we'll come out and make sure, run through all the tests, make sure the equipment will go into heating mode or cooling mode, dehumidification mode if that's required, um, and make sure that it kind of performs the way that it was intended to perform. The system then gets turned over to the, the operation staff, and so we need to make sure that the operators know what the equipment is supposed to do, first of all, what the design intent was, how to maintain the equipment, what, when to change the filters, when to change the belts, what other kinds of things they need to double check, how to do regular uh, commissioning, which we, we talked about the different kinds of commissioning. If I, since I commissioned the building to begin with, then if the operator goes through and runs tests every six months or a year, that's called recommissioning <laughs> to add another right. word in there. All right. Um, and then the, uh, we can get into monitoring-based commissioning. So if we set the system up to be what people like to call smart these days, um, with a couple of sensors, maybe make checking the uh, power consumption on the fan in the outdoor unit, maybe checking the, the temperature uh, out of the unit, and we can monitor that over time and make sure that it doesn't deviate from where it's supposed to be. And I think that, that one piece where you turn on the equipment, measure some power, measure pressures, measure flow, you know, that, that kind of one-time check when it's just turned on. I think in a lot of people's minds, that is commissioning. But yes. I appreciate you laying out, you know, there's a lot that goes before and after that stage. Yeah. And I, I recognize that it's it's quite a process there. It's quite a long process. Um, so it can be it can be difficult to describe to take the time to go through that whole that whole process. And I, I do think because we as an industry have thought about commissioning as kind of that manufacturer startup, that checking checking of those boxes, I think it, it is looked at as a slice in time. But I, I do think that's changing. And actually, there's a, um, a study that I think um, I'm going to blank on who put it together, but uh, that looks at how many um, commissioning agents uh, that are part of the Building Commissioning Association now do continuous commissioning type work. And I think it was something like 60% versus a couple of years ago, or maybe several years ago, you know, that number was much lower. Um, and so I think a lot more people are thinking about how our building's really operating um, after we, after the normal um, routine of kind of, you know, okay, it's not, all the construction people are gone now, <laughs> and now it's yeah. yours. And I, and I think there's been a shift in commissioning because in my impression, and correct me if I'm wrong, for you know, it, it kind of was a, a necessary evil for lead. It's like, all right, you have to have somebody come in and 
do commissioning and you have to pay them, but we just need the commissioning box checked so we can get our certification. That, like 10 years ago, that was kind of the feeling I used to get about commissioning. Is that, do you run into that? Have you run into that? Yes, and I think we, it depends on who you talk to. And I would say it also, it really does depend on the type of building in the industry. The other thing is now, it's not just lead that's requiring commissioning, but the energy codes are requiring commissioning now. So right. that's a whole different level of um, checking the box. <laughs> yeah. Um, that now gets, you know, the local government involved. And that can be, you know, there these requirements are all over. Uh, New York City, for example, is enforcing it versus other places in New York State where it might be required, but it's not enforced. So okay. then what, is, what does that even mean? When it's enforced, what, what exactly is enforced? Do you just need the a little report or a little uh, one-pager that says, we, we received the commissioning report? Um, and so I do think that there's this opportunity for the market to respond by providing a very low quality service, just like anything else, like Local Law 87 in New York City, where that was it was required to do retro commissioning and energy auditing every 10 years. And we had an episode with Lori Kerr, and um, she was kind of expressing some disappointment in the impact that that had made on on the industry in terms of energy. Yeah. And I think that a lot of building owners took that as, you know, another one of those New York City regulatory boxes that they needed to check. And um, I think that some similar things are happening in, in mid-Atlantic region right now with uh, the green code requirements and commissioning being required as part of that. Well, okay, I got to the permitting phase. <laughs> the design is complete. I got to the permitting phase and they won't let me get a permit unless you give me a preliminary commissioning plan. Okay. Or, and, and so you have to explain, well, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not just going to give you a plan. Like we have to actually do commissioning if, if we have to create this plan. <laughs> so, um, so having that and, and, and in, I mean, luckily in those places, they require it at the, the permit stage in, in, um, New York, they, I've had folks call me and say, oh, we need a commissioning report to get TCO. Can you give us a commissioning report this week? <laughs> um, no, okay. I can't. Um, there's probably somebody out there who will. But, um, so, but then there are other owners that call us and they say, you know, I really think that I need another set of eyes on this building and uh you know we need someone to do this commissioning thing <laughs> so is most of your work uh, are there code or program requirements i mean they're probably i mean there's, there's growing code requirements so yeah uh, uh there are growing code requirements and frankly um lead is required by code in a lot of places so even some lead projects are actually technically code projects. Okay. Um, but it's certainly a mix, um, a mix of different types of projects, different types of clients. 
different goals. And, and I do think commissioning, even Ashray says that, you know, commissioning is based on the owner's project requirements. There's always going to be differences in your process because of that, because it's based on the owner. It's not based on Kelly's project requirements that my, <laughs> I'm going to do commissioning my way on every project. And if you don't like commissioning my way, then go somewhere else. I, potentially that is a, a method of commissioning, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that it is important to think about commissioning as finding the gaps in that particular project and figuring out how to fill those gaps. So for example, in some projects, we everything runs through the general contractor and they are good about getting their subcontractors uh, to respond to issues in the field and get it, and can, uh, you know getting them to be on site at the right times. And other times we speak directly with the subcontractors because that's what's appropriate on that job. And if I said I would never reach out to a subcontractor directly, I think that there would be some projects where I wouldn't get traction. Yeah, okay. Now, it's a, it's a dicey relationship. We Commissioning providers have literally no authority whatsoever. We don't hold any of the contracts. Nobody gets paid by us. <laughs> right, um, right. The... So, and, and, you know, we can get language, if we're brought on early enough, we can get language into the um, specifications that require subcontractors to do certain things, but ultimately we're not paying them. So we, there's a million and one things in the specifications and the con, you know, the, there are some projects where not all million and one things get implemented on the job. So it can, it, this kind of, trying to influence the project without having any authority is is actually much much more of a human behavior question than a technical question. Yeah, but that's I mean I think that's similar to all kinds of uh certifications. Uh, you know, I've I've seen that I've been more involved in residential certifications, Energy Star, HERS ratings. Um, but also lead, also you know, and and you know, you're not paying anybody. You're you're a contractor to the owner or the architect or whoever it may be, and this is it. You report to the the owner, and you say, "All right, check, check, check. We got something missing here that needs to be corrected." Yeah. And then you know what what the owner does with that, or your client does with that, will vary like crazy. Uh, but. I think the the best I mean the best clients you know are organized enough have their ducks in a row that there's a method to you know get it done you know make sure the who figure out who's responsible and make sure that they address address the gaps. Yes, I I do agree with you in some ways, but I would say that with a program you're either in or you're out, right? And there's yep. a, list of requirements and if you're in then you have to do those requirements and that's that's that (laughs) okay with commissioning the owner gets to decide that ultimately so it's up to us it's more of um recommendations along the way commit the commissioning process is required by 
code and by uh, lead, but every little thing that we recommend is not necessarily. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. I mean, even if you find some big gaps, you still have, you've done the commissioning. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, then, and then the ball's in the owner's court as to how they want to uh, use that information. Yeah. And that question is super valid. I mean, do you ever end a, a commissioning project with zero open issues? <laughs> Do you ever end a commission project <laughs> with zero open issues? Only if the owner accepts as is all the open issues. I see. And then I they see. get converted to accept it as is. But all right. yeah, I mean, there's like some things can't be closed because, or I guess can't be resolved because they got caught a little too late or it's too expensive at this point to go back or there's a lot of finger pointing along the way or they fired the mechanical contractor halfway through the job, you know, yeah. lots of things happen. So it's not a perfect buttoned up process at the end, unfortunately. So my first experience with commissioning, which I now know is, should have been called retro commissioning. I was in grad school in the nineties and there was a, a, a new, very fancy new engineering building at the university of Colorado. And one of my professors got, some uh, funding to hire a grad student, I think it was for a summer, might have been for a semester, um, to commission this, all the systems and all the, uh, there was a very fancy then, very fancy, very advanced uh, BMS with logging all kinds of variables everywhere. So I had a list of hundreds of points and my job was to go around the building and all the systems and measure with the second instrument all of these points. So I was going through the air handlers, measuring pressures and temperatures and humidities and doing pitot traverses and there was structural stuff. There was tons going on. And I I was like, well, I, th I think, actually, I think it was like, well, anyways, I needed the money. It was a job. It was kind of boring. It's like, <laughs> I'm just walking through. What, you know, is this really worthwhile? I'm just going through and hundreds of points, hundreds of points, hundreds of points. Very tedious. And I came to one of the air handler fans, like the main air handler fan. And I was looking at it. It's like, man, these pressures are high. These pressures are high. And it was, uh, I looked, I had access to see what the control parameters were. And the, the static was supposed to be set in one of the air handlers at 1.5 inches. It was instead set to 15 inches, which, of course, the fans couldn't do. So the fans <laughs> were screaming. The VFDs were pegged. And, you know, I talked to the facilities guy. He's like, oh, that's no big deal. It's just a decimal point. And he just changed it. And then everything <laughs> was right. But that was like right there. That paid for my time during this summer job, you know, fivefold I did the math and it was it was like it's like man you really gotta you really gotta check you really need like yeah. a you, somebody's gotta somebody's gotta check all this stuff and so I was yeah. much less bored after that because I was ooh I'll find and I found some other stuff too that was screwed up too so it was it was it was pretty interesting but but yeah. that you would call that retro commissioning right the systems are in the buildings occupied all right go in and see how things are working yeah yeah yeah, and it, it, sometimes the I 
the line is blurry if the building okay. just opened and then you realized that you should have commissioned it in the first place. And um, I wouldn't stick too strictly to it. If you're, you know, going through and testing, uh, making a plan and testing systems um, and making it work properly, I think that sounds pretty good. But yeah, I think that would, that would be more retro commissioning. But it's interesting that you said, um, you know, you got excited when you found something. It's I thought about this a little bit before we started talking, and um, people just love calling out other people's stuff that they did wrong. Like <laughs> it's like human nature to just want to talk about what other people do wrong. What's and that German? There's a German word for that, right? Is it probably? Yeah, uh, one word. Schadenfreude. Is that right? I don't know. Is that true? I thought you were joking. <laughs> no. <I didn't> <laughs> Um, well, whatever that is, is real. And I, it's literally my job. That's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to go on a high road, Kelly. I thought you were going to say. (laughs) I mean, um, no, I I think it's funny because we have this, the, the, um, presentation that we, that we made into a podcast, uh, that you did with Steve, the top 10 design mistakes. Right. If it was the top 10 things you should do in design, I don't think as many people would be as excited about it. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, so we do, you know, at commissioning uh, conferences, we do, we see sometimes people do presentations on, like, trying to one-up each other on weird stuff they found in the field, and it can be hard to do over uh, audio, some of the weird stuff we find, but... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 1.5 versus 15. It's a small mistake because it's one little period, but... It's a big mistake in terms of energy consumption. We've yeah. seen toilet exhaust uh, ducted to the wrong side of the ERV and oh. supplying into the space. <laughs> so, you know, things happen. And, and that nobody would have discovered that. Yeah, until it started smelling weird. I'm not sure. I hope <laughs> that they would. I'm, I'm not oh, sure. Man. And some of the energy stuff you really wouldn't discover. Like, Almost all of the buildings that have, or I guess to kind of keep it simpler, so many, a lot of spaces have a heating system and a cooling system that's, those systems are separate but serving the same space and they'll be operating at the same time. So you feel okay in the space because you're being provided hot air to heat you up and then cold air to cool you down. So you're on average, you're okay. Um, But you're just running out those systems forever and spending tons on your on your energy bills for no reason. Yep. Or your equipment yep. is banging on and banging off all the time. So some things like that, some things you might notice, you might hear something when it's operating improperly or um, you might feel uncomfortable, but you really have to go through the systems one by one, step by step to make sure that everything's working properly. Is any of that made easier or less time consuming or streamlined or whatever by newer technology? By smart systems, by IoT. I mean, if you, if you don't, if you and the one of the HVAC contractors don't go through the system step by step, measuring pressures, measuring powers, measuring flow rates, uh, and instead all this all this equipment gets installed, can that facilitate? Can that, I guess, lower the labor, lower the upfront time, and as well as provide some down the road evaluation? I, there's 
potentially a bunch of software companies that disagree with what I'm about to say. All right. But I think that we are, I'm not, maybe in the future, but I'm not sure that we're there yet, number one. Number two, I think that w- who commissioned then all of their sensors? Right, like, yep. I actually yep. think you just added to the amount of time you have to be double-checking sensors in the field. The yep. simplest system to check is like a one-to-one heat pump or you know a packaged terminal heat pump <laughs> single speed like, on off yeah yeah the system's right there it's not doing anything crazy and oh and by the way it turns out packaged systems are actually more efficient than giant central systems but we can save that for another podcast <laughs> i think we have this idea that if we say iot and machine learning then we can take humans out of the equation and i just, I don't think, I don't believe in that philosophy. And I think that we are adding more and more sensors and more and more control points. And that just makes the importance of commissioning even more. Because it's not always going to be obvious what's messed up. Uh, Do you have experience working with different engineers or different contractors repeatedly uh, where it gets easier? I mean, do, do they come to appreciate you being there the, or, or other commissioning agents being there? Uh, do you get you know, a more streamlined working relationship or is it, is, the first, is it the first time every time? That's a good question. I think you should probably ask them, but, uh. <laughs> but I think, yes, I think the process does get easier oftentimes the thing is even if it's the same engineer it's a different actual person human being so it might be the same engineering firm but might be a different human being maybe it's the same person but it's the combination of people are different or it's a different system yeah exactly or, so there are so many things that can change. And what I've really truly been amazed by in my career, and it, it's really, I call it job security. There is so many different ways that something can be messed up. <laughs> so I'm, it, every time I think, you know, this isn't something we need to pay as much attention to. Just like you said, you know, like, do I have to test every single sensor? Like, okay, packaged, uh, the packaged coil. Like, we, we talked about this a little bit. Packaged refrigerant coil. Like, the packaged unit. Yeah, I'm not going to test the refrigerant charge in the field. It's a packaged unit. It comes, and, you know, you install it, and it's fine. Yeah. And then yeah. I... Usually, I just, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, it turns out not always. <laughs> um, so, we there was catastrophic failure at a project um, that they kind of found later on uh, that there was pinhole leaks in all of the uh, packaged heat pump systems oh man and they traced it back to a factory in mexico that had just opened up and this was their first batch and they forgot about quality control or or whatever but things like that can happen yeah mistakes get made everywhere along the line and so it's really important for it's important i think for us as an industry now i'm obviously biased but to allocate capital resources to making sure those things are set up properly because like we were talking about hotels if you 
put a guest in that space and it's not working properly, you have to pay them back for that room probably under certain brands, <laughs> right? I sort of asked you this before. I mean, w- with code requiring commissioning m- more and more, are, are you seeing, I, I, I guess, are you seeing not, not, not only, uh, hopefully you're seeing more clients because more people have to do this. Are you seeing more buy-in to the value of the, the process? That's a good question. And I think that I might give you a little bit of a non-answer. The thing is, I have been trying to make sure that we are having as big of an impact as we can have with the time that we have. And so we are trying to move um, to really working with clients that that are understanding uh, the impact of commissioning and rather than rushing to open the building, which is reasonable. There is a large amount of money at stake if buildings don't open at t- on time. Yep. But if we don't set ourselves up with a proper plan from the beginning, uh, then things can get behind and we... And commissioning can look like it's slowing down the process because it happens at the end. Uh, and with with the code, you need the sign-off for, to, for your temporary certificate of occupancy. So it can be a very sensitive time for everyone. Gotcha. So I think that in some ways, it makes the commissioning provider even more of the bad guy because you're the one person holding up... Uh. CFO or TCO okay. or something, potentially. Okay. If you want to require something like, for example, a bare minimum of that they've at least started up their boilers by the time. <laughs> uh, if, by the time for now. instance. Which is very hard. I would say there are some clients that haven't hadn't necessarily done a lot of commissioning before, and because it's required, they've started to do it. And they begrudgingly tell me that they are happy I'm, I'm there. <laughs> They're helping <laughs> things along. <laughs> so. so why do you like commissioning? Um, I like commissioning because you can look at a project early on and get an idea of what needs to be done and then follow that through to the, the very end of the project and see all the details then getting built around you and make sure that that those things really work well, really happen. I had worked in uh, doing some energy auditing and you make a lot of recommendations and things may or may not go through depending on funding or other things. But 90% of the time that you work on a, on a commissioning project, the building will get built either way and without you, it will get built in a crappier way. <laughs> so you can <laughs> definitely, um, your energy is spent improving the built environment. Thank you for listening to Buildings and Beyond. For more information about the topics discussed today, visit www.swinter.com podcast and check out the episode show notes. Buildings and Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. We provide energy, green building, and accessibility consulting services to improve the built environment.
Our professionals have led the way since 1972 in the development of best practices to achieve high-performance buildings. Our production team for today's episode includes Dylan Martello, Alex Mirable, and myself, Heather Breslin. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.